listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Finally got that thing to work. It's crazy when you have a few glitches in your system, you have to work through it. Have any of you guys ever had a system failure in your life where you think you got everything dialed and then all of a sudden your audio doesn't seem to work? Just that way sometimes. Last several weeks we've been talking about the community of God and the culture of the community of God. About three or four weeks ago, we started working our way through one of the, the letters in the Bible, the, the book of 1 John, that had been written to a group of Christians. And we started digging into the different aspects of this letter and the different parts of, of this teaching that, that he was sending out to the Christians of his day that he wanted all of them to hear. And there's this, there's this one verse in the middle of the letter that is really, really powerful and really poignant. When you get to this one verse, he begins to describe in detail about all the different roles that we play in earth and, and here in the world. And, and, and he starts talking about how there's different beliefs and there's all these different things going on. And then he, he says this statement about Jesus in this letter in 1 John. He says, the reason that the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's works. The reason that Jesus came was to destroy or disrupt the work of the devil. The reason we bring this back up tonight is because you and I, whether we see it or not, have been affected by the darkness in this world that's all around us. We've been affected in our relationships, we've been affected in our families, we've been affected in our bodies by getting sick and fighting through illness and disease. We've been affected in a lot of ways that our eyes are blind to. We go through life and we don't recognize what is really going on all around us. And so when this statement is made that the reason that God himself came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus, the Son of God, came and appeared, the reason that he came was to destroy the devil's work. It causes us to stop and to think and ask the obvious question, what? What is the devil's work? What did he come to stop? What did he come to disrupt? What did he come to intersect, to put away? Well, as we've been talking about the idea of community and culture, we've recognized that there's some core values or some key ingredients that we find in the community of God. And we find through all of the, the different teachings of Jesus that one of the, the, one of the most uh, pivotal strategies that God had in Jesus coming to earth was to establish his church or his community. He came to establish us. He came to find a mechanism here on earth that could pull together and put out his will and his purposes. And that's you and me. He came to establish something that would long outlive his time here on earth. Jesus, according to scripture, lived on earth about 33 years. But the legacy that Jesus left behind is here tonight, thousands of years later. In other words, God saw something that needed to happen that was going to take a long time to have come together and to come out. And 
we've realized that to be the community of God, to be the family of God, there's a lot of things to it. There's a lot of identity issues to it. But at its core, one of the things that we've experienced and that we are learning to accept is the fact that when, when we live in community with each other, it means that nobody has to go through this alone. That the darkness that we've all felt, that the abuse and the injustice that we've all seen, that we've all struggled through to try to get our way through it and manage our way through it, when we come together as the community of God, there is unity, there's strength, and there's the ability to get through it together. Don't you think that that kind of opportunity and that kind of potential would have some kind of opposition to it by the enemy? Something so strong, something so potentially powerful to bring people together in such a way that they would feel stronger when they're united and be able to endure their time dealing and pushing through the darkness that we all feel. It's a potentially powerful, powerful dynamic when people gather together. And so we've been looking at all of the different aspects of what it means to be a part of the community of God or the family of God. And the last couple weeks have been kind of heavy because we've begun talking about this idea that God wants us to grow up, that God wants for us to mature. And we've been looking at scripture that points out the fact that there's a lot of Christians who say that they follow God, who say that they walk with God, but when you look at their life and you look at where they're at in their journey and you look at where they're at in development and you look at where they're at in dealing with the stuff, you say, why are you still a child? You've been at this for so long. By now, you should be a teacher. You should be advanced. You should be in the point where you're schooling the new ones along in their journey with God. And yet, you're still acting like one of the newborn babies. And the last few weeks, we've been talking about how hard it is for us to come to the point to where we look at God and have to utter the words, I want to grow up. I want to mature. And when we say those words one of the first things that is required for you to mature, the first things that's required for you to grow up is accountability. That now you have to make yourself accountable to the community of God. It's no longer like it was when you were a child when you just did what you wanted and just said, yeah, you deal with it. I'm me and if you don't like it, go somewhere else. That works when you're seven years old or 13 years old, right? But not when you're 25 or 30 years old. I mean, I guess you can still do that, but you're not going to have very intimate friendships. You're not going to have very many people that want to be around you because you're acting like a child and you haven't grown up. And so we've realized that in order for us to take the step towards maturity, we have to accept that we are a part of a community and we have to begin to allow them into our space and allow them into our lives and begin to open up to one another and it goes even deeper than that. Last week, we studied scripture that talks about the fact that long ago, in God's heart, when he came to this world and he established us, he said, my heart is that you would not just be people on this earth, but that you would be my people here on this earth. That you wouldn't just look like everybody else, but that you would be known as the people of God. And it goes even further than that. He says, if you follow me, if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to be marked as my priests here on earth. In other words, I want you to be known as the ones who sacrifice and minister to those around you. 
And we looked at how God has laid this out through Scripture where he says, you're my chosen people. You're a royal nation. You're the priesthood of God when you call yourself a Christian. That's pretty heavy stuff. For most of us, we're like, man, I just kind of want to go to church once in a while and maybe hear some good songs and walk out and feel a little better. That's fine if you want to stay a baby. But if you want to grow up, if you want to mature, then you have to begin accepting the role that comes with it and the responsibility that comes with it. So tonight we're going to look at one more way that God wants us to grow up, that he wants for us to mature, that he wants for us to be responsible children. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, I want to read to you a parable that Jesus shared. Verse number 11, it says, The crowd was listening to everything that Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God was going to begin right away. Jesus said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king, and then he would return. But before he left, he called together ten of his servants, and he divided among them ten pounds of silver, which is an equivalent to $100,000. He said to them, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. But after he was crowned the king, he returned and he called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and I made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You have been faithful with the little that I entrusted to you. So I will make you governor over ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and I made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. And he said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with. You take what isn't yours and you harvest crops that you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what is mine and harvests crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he turned to the others standing nearby and the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has the tens, ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in here and execute them right here in front of me. Wow. Jesus is using a parable. For many of you that don't know what a parable is, it's like a story that you tell that people can relate to, but you're using imaginary characters. It's kind of like, you know, that safe way to have an argument with your spouse where you're just like, 
honey, let's just hypothetically say one of my friends accidentally spent $100 today on something that he shouldn't have. What would you do? It's kind of like that hypothetical of you don't really want to put yourself in the story because you don't want to know, you want to know how it's going to turn out before you do. Jesus tells these parables to people so that they can hear a deep, harsh, powerful, true message without closing their ears to it. How many of you ever start to hear something from somebody and you immediately close your ears because you don't want to hear it? Ah, I don't want to hear that. Or you, or you assume that you know how the story is going to end. Jesus had to deal with this all the time. As a matter of fact, in this very parable, afterwards, Jesus says that he never stopped using parables in his ministry. He always talked in parables. Why? Because you and I have a way of wanting to hear what we want to hear. You're doing it to me right now. You guys are hearing what you want me to say, whether you realize it or not. And you're, you're ignoring the stuff that applies to you. And if you're married, that's why you're getting an elbow right now, because you're supposed to be listening. But the, the point of the matter is that Jesus is trying to teach us something about God. And he uses this story to get our attention and to get our mind to open up. And the story that he uses is a really interesting one. He uses the story of this king, and he says, let's just say that there was a king. And he was getting ready to go off and be inaugurated. And in, in, in other words, he was getting ready to go and receive his kingship. He hadn't gotten it yet. But the people that were all around him, they didn't like him. They didn't want him to be the king. They didn't want the guy that had been picked for the job. Very interesting that Jesus uses that in this story because as we've been learning, the very crowds that Jesus was talking to and telling this to, they didn't want Jesus to be the king either. They wanted him to look different than he looked. They wanted him to act different than he acted. So Jesus uses this analogy and he says, this king was hated by these people. So he has money, this king, and he's getting ready to go off on the journey to become king. And he gathers 10 of his most loyal servants. And the guy takes $10,000 to each one of these guys and he gives it to them. $10,000. He says, I'm going away. Handle my business. And as this king leaves, Jesus tells a story. These guys go to work. They've all got something that they've been entrusted to do. And as he comes back, he says, all right, let's, let's see what you guys have done. Let's, let's check the inventory. And they start lining up and they start explaining what they did while he was gone. And Jesus begins to find out that some worked hard and some worked not so hard and some didn't work at all. What is he getting at in the point of this story up to this point? He gives us this analogy or this very clear image that God gives. Right? God, he gives. He lines up ten people and each one he gives. And I want to stop right here for a moment and I want to tell every single person in this room right now that if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted the journey of knowing God and walking with Him, then He has given you something. Every single one of you. 
so the story goes on. The first guy comes up and he's like, I am so glad to report to you that the 10 grand that you gave me turned it into a lot more. And the king's like, you did good. And here's what I'm going to do as a result of what you did. I'm going to entrust you with 10 cities. Started with $10,000. You multiplied it, and now I'm going to give you 10 cities. This picture is laying out is one of God giving. And when we do well, when we honor it, when we accept it, when we take it on and do well, and he rewards and he gives more. This is a very serious story that Jesus is telling. It's very serious on a lot of different, excuse me, a lot of different fronts. But at the core of this seriousness is this understanding that God expects us to use what he's given to us. He expects for us to use the opportunities, the gifts, the things that he's given to our lives. God expects for us to use it. And he goes on in this story to lay out this picture of those that get it and those that don't. A timeout right there. Many of us, as we've become more comfortable with our relationship with God, as we've become more comfortable with this understanding of the gospel of Jesus and the teachings and wanting all that God has, we have this incredible barrier that many of us try to get beyond and it's really hard for us. And this barrier that we try to get beyond has everything to do with our self-esteem and the way that we see ourselves. Many of us in this room tonight, when we come to God, we come destroyed and broken as people. You can't tell it from the outside because a lot of us work really hard at covering it all up. We try to keep ourselves put all together. We try to keep ourselves behind masks so that you can't really see what's going on on the inside of our hearts. But trust me, on the inside, we're a wreck. We're a mess. We're insecure. We're jealous. We're envious of everything and everybody around us. We can't sleep at night. We're addicted to everything under the sun. We're chasing this and we get it and we don't want it anymore. We chase this and we get it and we don't want it anymore. We're going crazy. And so we come to Jesus and this is who we are as people. And we begin to experience this grace that Jesus pours out and he says, I'll take you. I'll take you in all of your craziness. I'll take you just as you are. Just come to me and let me have you. And we begin this process of inching towards God, of letting him have us. And it's the hardest and the scariest process that we've ever been on in our life. And then we read a story like this. And the tendency is for us to heap a bunch of weight and a bunch of guilt and a bunch of condemnation on top of condemnation and for us to just go, see, I'm a loser and I'm always going to be a loser and now God thinks I'm a loser. And it couldn't be further from the truth. This is all about good news. Let me reframe it for you in a different way. Because sometimes we read stories like this and we think, man, Jesus doesn't love me. He doesn't like me. He wants me to be like the guys in the end that get their heads cut off and executed because they didn't want him. Listen to me. Jesus comes back 
And there's a group of people on the outside that didn't want what he had. And they didn't accept it. But that's not the ten. The ten that he entrusted to are the people that are a part of his family. They're the ones that he's chosen. They're the ones that already are connected, that already have a relationship with him. These are his. In every loving relationship between a father and a child or a mother and a child, there comes the point in the development of that child where the parent who has the authority has to institute instruction and discipline and correction if they truly love that child. Why? Because if you don't do it, nobody else will. And if you don't love your children, you don't want what's best for them. And if you want what's best for your kids, then you have to teach them discipline. You have to teach them and correct them and bring that into their lives. The Bible says that God is our Father and that He loves His children. And that's why He disciplines us. That's why He corrects us when our lives start to veer here and veer there. God disciplines us and He corrects us because He loves us and He wants our lives to reflect His. And He wants for us to accomplish the purposes that He set out for us to accomplish before we were ever even born. And He knows that that will never happen in our lives without correction and discipline. And when Jesus begins to explain this story, it starts off by talking to a group of people that don't understand the kingdom at all, and they don't understand the way that God works, and they don't understand what is laying out before them. And Jesus is trying to take their vision and elevate it to something completely different than what they're seeing. And he's trying to do the same thing with yours right here, right now. He's trying to get your eyes to see something different than you've ever seen before. And if you'll allow him to do it, he'll speak to your heart about your life and about the very things that he's given to you and about the very things that you have set on the sidelines and said, I can't do anything with that. And God comes back along and he says, yes, you can. Pick it up and use what I've given to you. Pick up the opportunity. Pick up the relationship. Pick up the phone and call that person out to you. Pick up the phone and reach out to the person because I put it in your life for a reason. Don't let it sit there. Use what I've given to you. And so Jesus lays out this, this parable, and it's a heavy parable. It's one where it's got a, a black and white ending. It's got an ending where on this side, the guy that used all the opportunities, Jesus says, you did it, you saw, you accomplished much, and now I'm going to reward you with even more. But then it shows a bitter ending for the other servants that say, I didn't do anything. And he says, give me what you've got. Give it to me. What's going on in that moment is not the end of the story. Whether you see it or not in your life, the correction of God sometimes feels very mean and it feels very uncomfortable and it feels very much like it's something that you don't deserve and you definitely don't want. And if God loved me, then this wouldn't be half. Jason. Show me what you did with the $10,000 I gave you. I, I, I didn't do anything. Give it to me. Give it to me. What? 
What? What did I do? I didn't do nothing. Come on, don't be so mean. Dad. I mean, geez. No. No. Give it to me. I gave you something to do, son. I told you specifically that I was leaving and that you were supposed to do something with this and you didn't do it. Give it to me. How many of you have ever seen that happen in your own life with your own kids? I got three of them. I just played out yesterday, okay? You, you're doing really good. You're doing all your chores. You're not doing anything. You, you don't have any chores this week. Guess what, buddy? You're getting all of them. Yeah. What's happening in this story is the father heart of God is correcting his children and he is bringing us to understand the severity of the situation that we live in. We live in a world that is under war. This world is not peaceful. This world is not getting along. This world is not in a place where it is getting progressively get better. This world is in a place where it is getting progressively worse. It's deteriorating. It's declining. It's falling apart. Relationships are strained. Prejudices are on the rise. Hatred in people's hearts is everywhere. Poverty, abuse, fatherlessness, orphans. Every time I turn on the news, I see the effects of a world that is unraveling. Do not for a sec believe the lie that everything's just fine. This world is under war. It was under war when Jesus walked the earth and it is under war even today. And Jesus was telling this story to a group of people who were oblivious to it. And he was trying to explain to them the severity of the situation. And at the end of this story, he says, this imaginary king, this make-believe king comes back to town. And at the end of the story, he says, bring in everybody who didn't want me to be their king and kill them. Execute them right in front of me. If you've been around here, you know that our lives are built upon the love of Jesus and on the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And everything that we teach and everything that we model and everything that we believe about God is that God is good. But in the goodness of God, you must understand that in order for God to truly be good, God has to be just. That there cannot be any goodness of God without justice in God. And that means that my heart rejoices when I think of the day that will come when all of the brokenness and all of the injustices and all of the abuse and all of the pain that I see will finally be made right. The day of reckoning will come and it will come at the hands of God because He is good and He is just. And in this story, this imaginary king is showing the severity of the situation that you and I live with. And it's no laughing matter. It's serious. And this story illustrates perfectly that everything in your life, everything in my life, is a test. Everything, if I lay out the content of my life and say, what do I got? What have I been given? 
What are the opportunities before me? And I begin to realize is that every single one of them has been given to me by the hand of God with a question. It's a test. And the question is, Jason, how will you respond? How are you going to respond to what I've put in your life? How will you treat this? How will you handle this? How will you respond? In Mark chapter 4, we read another passage from Jesus. And in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. And every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then Jesus added, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. What's the lesson in this, in this passage of Scripture? The principle is that when God gives us something, when we use it, He gives us multiplication and adds to it in great numbers. In other words, exponential growth. Exponential growth. It's kind of a big word, but it kind of goes like this. Start off with one. When you do really good with it, you get two. When you do really good with that, you get four. And now you have six. You do really good with that four, and you get eight. And now you've got 14. You do really good with that, and you see how it begins to grow. And all of a sudden, the short amount of time, and with a short number of steps, you've gone from here to here, and it feels like overnight. Why? How is this possible? It doesn't work that way in our lives most of the time. If any of you have ever gone through the, the rigorous journey of trying to lose weight or get in shape, you know that it is hard, and it's like you start off and you're going and you go that first week and then you go that second week and it seems like the progress is really slow and really tedious and it's hard work. It's not anything like exponential. It's not like that in our careers where you work for the same company for a few years and you get a promotion, you work for a few more, you get another little promotion and the raises that you get for these little promotions, they're pennies on the dollar. It's not like it's growing that rapidly. We don't see this kind of growth anywhere in society most of the time. And yet Jesus says that the kingdom of God is built on this principle. This is the way God works. You and I work inside of the framework of the clock. We all are slaves to the grind of the second hand and the minute hand in our life. Every day we're watching the clock and we're, and we're having to operate within its boundaries. But God says, I'm not restricted to the clock. I'm not restricted to time. If you will use the opportunities that I've given to you, time becomes irrelevant. 
You have a relationship that took 10 years to destroy, little by little. Unforgiveness, got pissed off about this, wouldn't let this go, that person, blah, 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 blah. 10 years it took for you to destroy the relationship. God can restore it in five, six, seven days when you begin to allow him into your heart and into your life and into the stuff in your life. How is that possible? It, it takes you 10 years to destroy something. It takes God a week to put it back together again once there's true forgiveness and repentance and humility. It's because the kingdom is on exponential timing. It's not married to the clock. My friends, with you're sitting here tonight and you feel like that, that servant who God came along and he gave that $10,000 to and he went on the trip and you just sat there twiddling your thumbs and went, do, 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 do. I'm not going to do really anything while he's gone. And he came back and he gave you the spanking and he took it away. Don't lose heart. God will give you another opportunity. As a matter of fact, there's more in your life right now if you look around and you'll begin to allow him to show them to you. What does it take to glean these? What does it take to adopt them? What does it take for you to accept it? Jesus just talks about it. He says, listen, listen, listen. The closer you listen, the more understanding that you will be given. Are you getting this? You know there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Some of you right now are hearing me, but you don't listen. You're not getting it. There's no understanding. You're, these words, they're just like, yeah, there goes Jason again. Do, 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 do. That's fine. Just read this scripture with me. Because it's talking about you. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given and you will receive any more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding you have, you're going to lose it. Why? Why is the kingdom built like this? Why are, the, why are the ways of God built like this? Because everything about knowing God and following Jesus has to do with one thing and one thing only. Lay down your life and take mine on. And when you lay down your life and give up the rights to yourself, guess what the first thing you lay down your rights to? what you pick and choose to listen to. You give it up. And you say, Jesus, I'm going to listen to you. And what you say, I do. End of story. And so we follow into this relationship with God and we make him the Lord of our life and we say, I'm going to follow you. And we begin this process of learning how to hear and learning how to listen and understand. And God works with us because he's gentle and kind. And he... He gently corrects us and he disciplines us and he corrects us like a good father. But the day comes when we turn 18 years old in our walk with God. Any of you parents know what the day is like when your kids are going to turn 18 years old? It's the day you can't wait for. It's the day when the rubber meets the road. It's the day when you say, okay, you do what you want, but when you turn 18... It all changes. Now, we know that's really not true because, well, some of you are 28 and you're still living with mama, but we won't even go there right now. We'll just... In other words, the point comes 
when the loving father says, it's time for a test, son. It's time for the test. It's examination time. Let's take a look at all that you've heard the last 12 months of your life, Jason. It's exam time. You've been going to Gravity Church every week. You come to the Bible studies on Wednesday night, Jason. You're there at church in the park. You show up on Friday mornings. You're there. You're doing the time, Jason. Let's, you know, on the outside, it's looking good. You're hearing lots of good stuff. You're hearing all of these things. It's examination time. Let's see what you've done with what I've given you. Oh, I hate tests. I hate those examinations. And God in His mercy and in His grace begins to show us where we're really at in our maturity. Listen and apply it equals grow and mature. Let me do that one more time for you. Listen and apply it equals grow and mature. Got it? Listen, apply. Listen, apply. Told you tonight was kind of a special night when we were in worship getting done. Because tonight is really, really close to the night that uh, we started Gravity Church two years ago. October of 2009 was when we stepped out and said, God, we feel that you are speaking to us and we're listening and we're going to use what you've given us to use. You're giving us something very small, something really intangible, something that doesn't appear to be a whole lot to work with. But God, we're going to use it the best we know how and we're going to give it all that we've got to follow you and to listen to what you're leading us to do. And over the course of the last years, I can attest to you that this principle that we're talking about tonight is absolutely 100% the truth. You use what little God gives you and he will exponentially add to it and it will grow in ways that you never imagined possible. In the last two years, we've seen miracles happen literal miracles. We've seen lives that walked through the back doors of the church that were completely addicted to meth and to different drugs, completely hopeless, suicidal, in a place where they had completely, absolutely written off any hope that their life could ever be anything other than what they had seen. And I have watched God take those lives and completely restore and heal them and completely fill them with hope and courage to face all of the stuff that they have to face in their life. And it has made me the biggest believer in the power of God that you've ever met because I'm seeing it happen in front of my eyes and you're all sitting there right in front of me. And every time it happens, I just think, God, you did it again. You did it again. I watch you come in hard, just, don't talk to me, don't, and within a couple weeks, you're just like, I don't know what's going on, but I just feel different and I just want to be here. And it's like, yeah. We all do because we all start the same, covering ourselves up with whatever skin we put on to hide and keep ourselves protected. Telling you this to tell you that when we started, we were scared to death. We didn't know what to do and we didn't know how to do it and we didn't know what it looked like. To do this that we're doing on Saturday nights, 
We had a small group of people that were passionate about following God, and we all throw everything in, and we said, I'm all in. We're going to give it. We're going to do it. And there was a group of about 20 of us that just said, if this is where God's calling us to do it, then we're going to give it our all. And in that moment, God gave each one of us $10,000. He said, what are you going to do with it? And I can tell you that there's been moments over the last two years where God has come back and visited and checked in, so as to speak, and said, it's test time. Some of the tests we haven't passed with flying colors. Some of the tests we've failed. And some of the tests we've aced. And I can tell you that God and the loving Father that He is has added to our, our increase, increased what we do and how we do it is all I can say in lives, in relationships, and in opportunities. When we started, there was something that God spoke to our hearts very specifically, and it had to do with helping people find a place that they could get healed up. And we knew that it was going to take a whole lot more than just a Saturday night church service to do that. One of the things that God spoke to us very specifically was, you need to find a way to house people. You need to find a way to bring people in, give them a safe, spiritual place to live, and begin to allow them to work through the issues in their life in a way that they can feel supported and loved and, and resourced to get through it. So two years ago, God birthed in us a dream. And for the last two years, we've been taking baby steps towards this dream. And we're going to show you a video here of where we're at in the journey of this dream. When God gave us a little thing and he said, I want you to use this. And for us, it was a very small little housing place. It was a little a one-bedroom apartment. But we believe that God's been faithful. We've been faithful, and God is getting ready to multiply. Are you guys ready? Can you show this video? Go for it. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com. 